Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. We're on the cusp of a new year, and before we get comfortable in it and the excitement fades away, we've set a modest goal for ourselves. Think better. Having the facts and memorizing those facts still remains really, really important. Many of us, if we could, would improve at something this year. Mandarin or basketball or JavaScript or whatever. The math that I'm learning now has a lot to apply to aeronautics, especially in the geometry part of it. This week, we'll look at the science of learning, try to understand why a new approach to math has suddenly become popular in the U.S., and investigate why kids are so darn good at absorbing languages. But first up, darts. About a decade ago, two researchers at the City University of New York decided to teach high school girls darts. And one of the big questions that loomed was, how do you get someone to pick up a new skill? So they divided the girls into three groups. One was told, just do your best. The second was told, try to hit the bullseye. And the third was told, here's a way that you can move your arms that will really help. Hold your elbow close to your chest. uh, Use three fingers. This type of kind of very basic knowledge about how to throw darts. So, okay, three groups. Obviously, no one was told anything that made them inherently more brilliant or more athletic. The kids threw the darts, and the researchers paid close attention. And what they found, to a degree, isn't surprising. They found that folks who got some very basic instruction on how to learn, how to engage, scored much, much higher. I mean, out of the charts. Ulrich Bozer is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and the author of the book Learn Better. When I went to go interview one of the researchers who had conducted the study, she still had the darts in her office because the scores were so high. And I I think what it underscores more broadly is that there is a lot of conventional wisdom about how we learn, how we learn effectively. And a lot of that conventional wisdom is wrong. And when we get research, when we get information on how to learn effectively, we can learn much better at, at much higher rates. Bozer has spent much of his adult life obsessed with learning, partially because he struggled with learning as a kid. I managed to repeat kindergarten. I spent some time in special education. In one January day in the mid-1970s, within a 45-minute period, I managed to not read my own handwriting, copy off a neighbor, get in trouble for not being able to do some basic math. I know this because there was a psychologist sitting in the back of the room just taking notes on all the ways in which I was unable to to learn. So right from the beginning, Bozer was confronted with a problem, his own, and it started him on a search for solutions. He has written for Education Week, U.S. News and World Report, and lots of other publications with a focus on learning. He's chased down research on whether you should tell your kids they're smart, whether using highlighters when you read is effective, and why facts matter, even in an age when you can Wikipedia pretty much anything. Bozer says the conventional wisdom used to be that learning ability was innate, like height or eye color. So for some, the thinking was, well, why bother studying learning in the halls of academia if there's nothing you can do to change it? 
we've long been fascinated by intelligence. It's a huge discussion in our society. And I want to be clear, intelligence exists. Some people have higher levels of IQ than others, and it does predict some important things. And when we talk about intelligence and when you ask people, you know, what is intelligence, you get different answers. But one of the answers that you often hear is people are able to reason more quickly. They have faster working memory. They're able to learn skills in more effective ways. And so we know intelligence exists. But at the same time, how we learn subjects, how we engage, whether it's golf or physics or darts, can make a tremendous difference. And and I think separating those two things out are really important. In other words, we can use specific approaches to learning to kind of bootstrap our fundamental capabilities and, and learn better. And are, are there things, just a couple of things that you think, wow, these should really stop and make us think and maybe think differently about our, our ideas about learning? Yeah, absolutely. There are quite a few of them. I often work at a university not far from where I live, and I see students using highlighters all the time. And there's very little evidence on highlighters, that highlighters work. Hmm. And largely the issue is that they're kind of a passive way to learn. And certainly we've all had that experience. You can remember back to college those folks who would highlight everything in a book, right? Just kind of leave one or two words sort of, you know, not in yellow or green. And it underscores that highlighting is this can be a very passive process. We would be much better off forcing ourselves to generate, to really be more active learners. And so if you're reading an article and you have to speak about it to uh, your board that night or you read an article and you're going to be tested on it the next day, you know, putting away that material and just reciting uh, to yourself or writing down a summary is, is a far more effective way to learn. And it's not just highlighting. So another more passive process is rereading. I wrote this whole book arguing for these more effective types of learning. And recently I was preparing for a talk and I was in a room all by myself and I found myself rereading my own notes. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I wrote this whole book arguing for more effective ways of learning, for quizzing yourself, really pushing yourself. And then I'm in a new situation where I'm practicing for something and I resort to these old, more passive ways. And for me, it's shed some light on, I think, why we engage in these more passive ways of learning is that they're more comfortable, they're easier when you're practicing for a talk. You want those notes in front of you because they make you feel comfortable, kind Mm -hmm. of like an an old blanket. But really, we're much better off, especially when we know a topic fairly well, to to produce it, to generate it, to really engage in it in these more effective ways. When, you know, if somebody's trying to learn something, if I'm trying to learn Spanish or a kid's trying to learn the multiplication tables, people will often say to you something like practice makes perfect. If you were advising somebody who was saying to you, look, I'm trying to learn this thing, what would you say to them about how best to do that? The first thing I would say is that practice alone doesn't make perfect. Some forms of practice are much more effective than others. And just doing something day in and day out without really deliberating on it, without really having goals or instruction or even some real engagement isn't going to work. We have lots of research on this. Uh, I like to give the example of driving. I've been driving since I was 17, probably have clocked a million miles since then. And I have not gotten better at at driving. I still struggle with parallel parking. I get nervous when it snows. I 
don't get into those curves correctly. So you know, one thing I would say is just you know doing something is not learning. And then you know when we start to think about getting better at learning, one would be start setting some goals. Say to yourself, okay, today I'm going to. If we were getting better at driving, going to practice on you know parallel parking, and I'm uh-huh. really going to focus on that. Educators, teachers, mentors, getting that type of feedback really important. And then there are you know lots of other uh, approaches, but first, actually saying, hey, I'm going to get better at Spanish. I'm going to get better at golf, and I'm going to set some very discrete goals for myself. Lots of evidence that that even beginning phase of setting goals is is a great way just to get started. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm speaking with Ulrich Bozer. He's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and author of the book, Learn Better. You talk about, you say there's this kind of multi-step process to really effective learning. But I want to talk for a minute about the first step in it, which is to value what you're learning. If somebody's learning something, you know, like calculus or, you know, the history of Greece or something. And they're learning it because they're being told to not not or or they're learning a new computer program because like their employer said they should. How do you value something that's not it's not your hobby. It's not like your intrinsic passion. How do you think about that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a great question. I find it really fascinating myself. And what ends up being really important is thinking about that type of motivation as a one way street. I think we often think about motivating people about that new accounting system or some technology at work that if we sprinkle a little something interesting on top, you know, some pop culture references like Justin Bieber, that certainly will spark people's interest. <laughs> why and you not? can see this. Why not? You can see this in a lot of colleges, right, where they're like, we're not going to study statistics. We're going to study baseball statistics. And this is just going to, you know, drive people towards it. And what a lot of research has shown is that motivation is this one-way street. And so what teachers or other educators or even folks kind of trying to motivate employees is you really try and find where other people are going to find their own interests. So a very specific intervention that has replicated in a number of different situations is to just ask someone if they're learning about statistics, for instance, which sometimes doesn't really spark that innate interest, ask them to take a little time to write a few paragraphs about when they might think about using this. And a lot of people might never come up with baseball. Many people might just talk about their own careers. If they want to become a nurse, they might talk about uh, mortality and probabilities within that. They might talk about how they're going to teach their own kids how to think about statistics. That is a far more effective way to get people motivated because they're really finding their own meaning in that material. Mm -hmm. They're really finding their own way to, to find value in that engagement. When you think about the science of learning and all the research we've talked about, plus a whole bunch more, do you feel like schools, whether it's elementary school, high school, college, uh, that they have benefited and sort of implemented this research as it's come out in the last few decades? There is a, a very large gap between what the research says and what schools are doing. Teachers, to be clear, are are not to blame here. A lot of it has to do with the the structures around schools. But just to give a very simple example, there's a lot of evidence that when we mix up our practice, 
we're going to learn a lot more. So people shouldn't, when they're practicing something, repeat the same thing over and over again. But I have young children. One of them is in elementary school, and she gets these uh, worksheets home, and those worksheets really have her doing the same problem again, again, again. There's lots of research that shows that mixing up your practice. So if you want to get better at the piano, you shouldn't just play Bach over and over and over again. You should play some Beethoven, then Bach, then Mozart. So that you mix up your practice far more effective. Hmm. Um, you mentioned a piece of data that I found really interesting, and I think parents, teachers would all find it maybe um, a little bit concerning. But people often say, or are often do praise kids for being smart. You yeah. question that idea that we should praise kids and. That we should ever say, you know, like, you are so good at math or or whatever it is. I had this experience just yesterday. I was at my child's parent-teacher conference speaking with one of her instructors and was describing students as smart. And I, I myself wanted to stop them. Look, certainly smarts exist. But the issue is that when we tell people they're smart, we give them, in the language of the literature, this fixed mindset. And that means anything that they apply themselves that requires some level of intelligence, they might see as a test to reaffirm that they are smart. So if they do poorly on a math exam, if they do poorly on a French exam, it might suggest that they are smart or not. Mm -hmm. We're much better off, this is work by Carol Dweck, having a growth mindset, which is the more that we practice, the harder that we do, the more that we're going to, to learn. And this is really important when it comes to learning because we know that the more that you struggle, the more that you learn. So in my mind, really focusing on the process. So to go back to that example, instead of saying, oh, you're so smart at math, say, oh, I really love the way that you tried hard on this problem. I could see here that you probably didn't focus enough on, on details. Maybe that's an area focusing on details you can you know learn from a little bit more. So focusing on kind of learning strategies and approaches as opposed to kind of outcomes or these types of, of labels, I think is, is far more effective. How do you think that what we know now about learning um, intersects with the way that work has changed? I mean, there's a lot of people who've talked about the fact that, like, facts are not that hard to get anymore. You know, it's very easy. I could very quickly find out, you know, how many miles there are between the Earth and the moon. It's not that crucial for me to remember it or who the 10th president was. Um, but the nature of work has changed. And I just wonder, like, how you think what we've learned about learning factors into a really new way in some ways that jobs are structured. Yeah. Let's unpack this a, a little bit. One, there is this idea, and, and you hear it often, that we don't need to learn facts anymore, that because of Wikipedia and the internet, facts aren't important. And I guess I'd ask you this question. Haben Sie heute Morgen gefrühstückt? Yeah, I wouldn't have is, much of an answer for you that. Don't, you don't have an answer. <laughs> Look, you can... That is German for, did you eat breakfast this morning? Okay. And the point here is that you, if you have your phone near you, can look up each of those words mm -hmm. on the Internet very rapidly. Frühstück, breakfast. The point and that I'm really trying to press here is that having facts ready on the top of your mind is actually really key to learning. So, yes, I agree. Wikipedia is a fantastic tool. So many facts there on the Internet. But we really need to keep in mind that 
in order to think richly about something, in order to speak German or Russian or French, you need to actually know those facts. And this is true whether it's foreign languages. It's also true when it comes to you know, learning about astrophysics. Having the facts and memorizing those facts still remains really, really important. So you had asked about how does the future of work change the way that we learn. Right. I would argue that it's made the skills of learning to learn how we can learn rapidly much more important. Mm-hmm. What we know about the future of work isn't necessarily what jobs are going to be there, but we do know that we're going to go through much more rapid cycles of change. We're going to see new careers develop in much faster ways. And how people can stay ahead of that curve is having the skill of learning to learn. So these strategies that allow us to first identify what we need to know, figure out ways to practice them in which we actually get better, as well as reflect on how exactly we learn and and what we've learned in ways that uh, allow us to be more effective learners in the future. Ulrich Boser is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. He's the author of the book, Learn Better. Ulrich, thank you so much. Thank you. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. And we'll have links to lots of the studies we talked about during this conversation, research on the effect of telling kids they're smart, on the effect of using highlighters, and more. That's at our website, innovationhub.org. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful